you stand with us this morning as we begin singing. Blessed be your name. Blessed be your name in the land that is plentiful, where your streams of abundance flow. Blessed be your name. Blessed be here today as uh, we come into this place together. It's a joy as always every Sunday to gather here 
And uh, as we worship together, I hope that our hearts will be encouraged in what the Lord is doing. There's a few things that we want to take a moment right here at this time and uh, kind of focus on and uh, thinking about uh, the ways that God is at work in our lives and uh, different ways that God is leading and directing. And then also just grateful for uh, this weekend and what it represents in a lot of ways and what it means. Uh, If you are uh, someone here who has uh, in the past served in our armed forces, if you as a veteran or if you're currently Uh, enlisted. Would you stand where you are at this point in time if you have served in some capacity? Thank you. You may be seated. This is a time when we remember those and appreciate those who are serving in harm's way to protect our nation, but also uh, grateful for the ways that God encourages us to be in prayer for our nation and uh, grateful for how the Lord uh, protects us as a people. And, and it is a reminder to be in prayer for what's going on around the world uh, in Israel as well as in the Ukraine. There's other places though that are uh, truly being bombarded with a lot of attacks and not just in the political fray, but especially in the spiritual one as we've been witnessing and been talking about all these last several weeks about those who are serving faithfully in different places. Uh, I just saw a good friend of mine walk in and Seth, uh, I used to, there was this Ray Stevens song many years ago about a squirrel that got loose in a little church in Pascagoula and about, you know, I don't know how many thousands got saved and how many dedicated their lives to Congo and Seth and his wife were one of those members of that church. I don't know, I'm just kidding. Uh, but have been serving faithfully in Congo in the areas and uh, he is with us here today and a uh, good college friend and has faithfully been serving the Lord and it's good to have him here in the service here this morning. We also have a couple of individuals who are going to be heading off on a mission trip and this is the Sunday before they depart. I'm going to ask Rebecca and Marina to come if you would and, and uh, we have been uh, showing you uh, their ministry endeavor. If we could slip to that next slide there. And uh, this is where they're headed. Uh, They're suffering for Jesus in Spain. Uh, But uh, at the same time, it's really a great opportunity. We've done this as a church. About every three years, there's a regional conference. And uh, the last one was to Malta. And so now Marina and Rebecca are going to be heading there. And I'd like for you, as we uh, think about starting our service here this morning, to be kind of joining our hearts together, praying for them specifically as they go on this mission trip and seeking to uh, serve in this area and helping these missionaries who are coming with their children and providing childcare and uh, ministering with them. And uh, so as we open our service here, as we're thinking about the Paul Shinefields, Israel, the many others that we're praying for, remember them as they're leaving out this week and going to be away for a few uh, days and then coming back and just praying that God would use them and encourage them. So let's unite our hearts in prayer here this morning. Father, we're grateful for the morning. Uh, Lord, we're grateful for what you're doing in our lives, grateful for servants of God. Thank you for the ways that you call us, you lead us, you motivate our hearts to go into places. Lord, we're grateful for Rebecca and for Marina. I pray that you'll bless them. I pray that you would encourage them, help them as they're an encouragement to these families that are bringing their children as they prepare programs, as they minister to these kids 
and some of them feeling so discouraged, some of them at just different places in their life, different stages, the struggle of ministry, and also the challenges of being in a different country. And, and for many of these kids, never really feel like they belong in one world or the other. And I pray that you'll help Rebecca and Marina to really minister grace to them. Lord, let us as a church serve them. And Lord, I pray that you provide their needs. I pray that you'll encourage them as they also go and serve others. So Lord, I pray that you'll minister now this morning as we open your word, as we sing the songs of our faith, as we declare you plainly, boldly, openly. Lord, I pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ who are in places of this world where that is not possible. Lord, I pray that you'll give them boldness though. Give them open doors of opportunity. Give them such a willingness to share you in the face of opposition and persecution. And so Lord, prepare our hearts. I pray that we would be ministers of grace even here Lord, may we truly be the faces of grace to the world around us. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Pastor. Would you join me? Stand with me again as we continue worshiping in song, singing, Crown Him with Many Crowns. the world for 
Jesus, you Jesus, you are all 
Jesus, Jesus, you are all to us. And the chorus again. Let the glory of be the passion of the church. Let the righteousness of God be the holy flame that burns. Let the saving love of Christ be the measure of our lives. We believe your all to us. Lord, what wonderful lyrics we see in this song, but the promises that we have in your word that assure us you are all we need. You are all to us. So we pray that we would claim that. We thank you for the cross. We thank you for the resurrection. And we thank you that you are in heaven awaiting the return. And we await your return anxiously today, Lord. Thank you for loving us, that we can love you back. So we pray those things in Jesus' wonderful, mighty, and holy name. Amen. You may be seated. This last uh, Sunday at our quarterly meeting, we had an opportunity to uh, take a vote as a church as to our relationship with the Kleises. And uh, as a church, we voted uh, with vast majority to extend our desire to become their sending church, to become their home church, to be a supporting church uh, to the Kleises. And there was a little condition there, contention upon them choosing to join with us. And so after great, long and lengthy deliberation, uh, Jonathan Noella said, okay, okay. But uh, they had been in the process of wanting to do that and go through that process and have already met with Kelly O'Rear. And uh, it's one of those things And in your bulletin, you'll find their testimony. This is who they are. Um, it's a need to watch how God takes people in the paths and the directions of life and brings them to places of decision and points of, of trajectory and how God used all of those things to bring them to our ministry here and to our church and to knit our hearts together and to appreciate what we can do together as they're seeking to continue in ministry. I've been in Italy now for over 18 years and uh, what God has been doing in their lives. And uh, so they have expressed the desire to come and to join with us. I'm gonna ask Noella to join Jonathan down here at the front. And uh, uh, they, as I've said, they've, they're coming by uh, recognition of membership being moved here. They've expressed their testimony of salvation, a clear testimony of God's grace in their life and also demonstrating that through baptism and the model of that reflecting what Christ has done in the death, the burial, and the resurrection, that living now out the grace of God in their lives. They come as people that are in need of prayer, as we all are. They come ready servants to serve and to go as God has called them. And so though they've spent some time with us, they'll be here for a few more weeks and Lord willing, they're gonna get back to Italy and getting back to the place where God wants them to be. And so we're grateful. So I'm gonna ask you two to join me here. And so I'm gonna frame the question as we do and we have people who come. If you're a member, a participant in the membership here of Grace Baptist Church, 
as they have desired to come and to become members of Grace, and then to allow us as a church to enable them and to also encourage them to come alongside them as we do with all of our members. I hope that uh, that is our desire. And so I will put it before you, it is, is it your desire to receive them as members of Grace Baptist Church? And if that is your desire, would you say amen? amen. Now, is there anybody that says no? We'll say, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, but if we will take that into heart and afterwards they're going to be back in the foyer. They didn't know that. But that's the one part that they didn't know. Uh, they'll be back in the foyer and that's the way that you'll be able to extend to them the right hand of fellowship, uh, that, that little expression there. But it is something that comes from scripture that we would welcome them, embrace them. And uh, so I'll be the first. Welcome to Grace Baptist Church. Amen. We're grateful for you both. Amen. Love you. Amen. They will be with us through around December the 10th and around the 12th, and uh, then they have some other places they've got to be. And, uh, but uh, we've enjoyed so much the opportunity uh, to have their company with us. Turn with me to the book of 2 Corinthians this morning, and uh, we'll get back into our John series probably more in uh, the month of perhaps December. I'm praying about some different direction, but then definitely in the new year. But I want to talk this morning about the faces of grace in 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9. I want to read these chapters, and I'm going to read them in their entirety. Uh, And I think once we get into them, you'll be reminded of what these contents are. And at the same time, I hope that you will pause your judgment on me until after we get done with the message, okay? Because what does 1 Corinthians 8 and 9 talk about? It talks about a sense of our responsibility to give. And he says in chapter 8, verse 1, Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God. I want you to hold on to this concept, and I want you to think about this. The, The faces of grace here has more to do with how he opens this passage and how he moves grace along inside of these two chapters. And so we find here, he says, I want to make known to you the grace of God, which has been given in the churches And specifically, he names a group of churches in the Macedonian region, that in a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord, begging us with much urging for the favor of participation and the support of the saints. And this is not as we had expected. But they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. And so we urged Titus that as he had previously made a beginning, so he would also complete in you this gracious work as well. But just as you abound in everything, in faith and utterance and knowledge and in all earnestness and in the love we inspired in you, see that you abound in this gracious work also. I'm not speaking this as a command, but as proving through the earnestness of others the sincerity of your love also. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for our sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. 
And I give my opinion in this matter, for this is to your advantage who were the first to begin a year ago, not only to do this, but also desire to do it, but now finish doing it also. So that just as there was the readiness to desire it, there may be also the completion of it by your ability. For if the readiness is present, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For this is not for the ease of others and for your affliction, but by way of equality. And at this present time, your abundance being a supply for their needs, so that their abundance also may become a supply for your need, that there may be equality. As is written, he who gathered much did not have too much, and he who gathered little had no lack. But thanks be to God who puts the same earnestness on your behalf in the heart of Titus. For he not only accepted our appeal, but being himself very earnest, he has gone to you on his own accord. We've sent him along with the brother whose fame in these things, in the things of the gospel has spread through all the churches. And not only this, but he has also been appointed by the churches to travel with us in the gracious work which is being administered by us for the glory of the Lord himself and to show our readiness, taking precaution that no one will discredit us in our administration of this generous gift. For we have regard for what is honorable, not only in the sight of the Lord, but also in the sight of men. We have sent with them our brother whom we have often tested and found diligent in many things, but now even more diligent because of this great confidence in you. And as for Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker among you as for our brethren. They are messengers of the churches, a glory to Christ, and therefore openly before the churches show them the proof of your love and of our reason for boasting about you. Verse, chapter 9, verse 1, for it is superfluous for me to write to you about this ministry to the saints. For I know your readiness of which I boast about you to the Macedonians, namely that Achaia has been prepared since last year and your zeal has stirred up most of them. But I have sent the brethren in order that our boasting about you may, be made, may not be made empty in this case. So that as I was saying, you may be prepared. Otherwise, if any Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to speak of you, will be put to shame by this confidence. And so I thought it necessary to urge the brethren that they'd go ahead to you and arrange beforehand your previously promised bountiful gift so the same would be ready as a bountiful gift and not affected by covetousness. Now this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. And each one must do as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly, not under compulsion, For God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. As it is written, he scattered abroad, he gave to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for the food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness." You will be enriched in everything for all liberality, which through us is producing thanksgiving to God for the ministry of this service is not only fully supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing through many thanksgivings to God because of the proof given by this ministry 
They will glorify God for your obedience to your confession of the gospel of Christ and for the liberality of your contribution to them and to all. And while they also by prayer on your behalf yearn for you because of the surpassing grace of God in you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Father, I pray that as we think about these passages and the season that we're in, that Lord, we would be able to marry the concepts of abundance and generosity, of obligation and the stewardship of being faithful and giving. And Lord, I pray that you'll teach us what it really means from a biblical perspective. Lord, I pray that you'll drive home and into our hearts some thoughts as we begin these things here today. And it's in Christ's name. Amen. There's a story <coughs> told that several years ago, there was a boy who was walking to church. Now, this is several years ago because before he left the house, his parents gave him two quarters. And so, as he's leaving the house, as most boys do, he gets a little bit fidgety. And so, he begins to toss the quarter up into the air and he walks down the path and he begins to toss the quarter up in the air again. And where along the way, somewhere along the way, he stumbles on the sidewalk and here comes the quarter down and it begins to roll and it rolls down the side of the sidewalk off onto the edge of the curb and goes right into a storm drain. So, the little boy looks over and he goes down and he looks into the storm drain and he begins to look at it and he begins to examine it. Stands up, gets back up again, starts walking on to church, and he said, well, God, there went your quarter. One of the quarters was for the offering, and one was for the candy afterwards. God, there went your quarter. And so much of life is treated much like that, that we begin to think about our situation and how we are much like that child. We segregate our thinking of money as a compartmental approach. We have money for God, money for vacation, money for food, money for the mortgage or the rent and so forth. And really we've been challenged over the last several weeks to think about how we have been encouraged and challenged, even stirred to imagine life in various countries serving others with the message of the gospel. And missionaries have shared about their attempts to reach people in all kinds of different locations and using various kinds of methods. And I've, I've so appreciated the creative way that God is allowing people to take their giftedness and to pre, uh, preach the gospel of Christ, maybe not necessarily with a, a Bible open on a street corner, but definitely with the Bible open in their hearts, expressing that as people around them are exposed to the meaning and the message of the living gospel as well as the communicated words. And we think about these individuals that are sent out, and as a church, we support them. We support them in our prayers, but most importantly as well, we support them financially. We are a means by which these people are able to go and to commit their lives into the ministry of the gospel. Just last week, we also had a quarterly meeting, as I mentioned, and we shared the status of our ministry. And in that, we had a report from our staff about how God is doing some really amazing things. Even in the midst of all the disruption and all the things that we've endured for almost now the last three and a half years. We've shared our financial report. 
And how nearly a year ago, we as a body of people said that we're committing together to put together a a ministry goal, a vision for this year that's going to require us to financially support that, but also that we've got things in mind that we want to do and not sit back and wait for other things to take place. Money can be seen as such a sensitive topic, and honestly, I get it. In the past, we have watched organizations and religious nonprofits and even well-meaning churches prove that they're led by fallen individuals. And money has been improperly handled or even a, a belligerent spirit of leadership dictating the way the funds should be handled. And it's led some generations to come to a place where they even refuse to allow funds to be handled by organizations and choose rather to support things directly or even not at all. But that's sort of like throwing the baby out with the bathwater. What's interesting about 1 Corinthians 8 and 9 is that this is a specific offering to meet a specific need. There are a group of Jewish individuals down in Jerusalem The Paul wants to take these generous offerings from the regions in which he has been going to, to deliver this offering down to a group of individuals who have been cut off because of persecution, through a lot of adversity. There's a lot of things happening, and they are without food. There there is a, a severe situation of persecution taking place. And so this is where these chapters begin to work within and massage the hearts of these Corinthian believers to recognize you made a promise. So how are we going to fulfill that promise together? Back in 21, Barna, uh, the Barna group did a study and uh, it was a, what I would describe as a generational poll. It was conducted to examine the attitude of people towards giving and generosity. And it was specifically focused on the relationship of the Gen Zers and those that are the millennials. And so they define the generations in this way. You have here this first graphic where it's those that are born between 1999 and 2015 or what is described as Generation Z. I hope you can read that. I realize I got that small. Millennials born between 1984 and 1998. The Boomers, or excuse me, the Gen Xers born between 1965 and 1983. The Boomers born between 1946 and 1964. And the elder generation born before 1946. So what I want you to do here for the next few minutes is I want you to firmly fixate where you fit. I'm not gonna ask you, okay? That's up to you to remember this, okay? So what generation are you in? If you're here in the room, what generation do you fit in, all right? And I want you to think about that as we walk through some of these graphics that are getting ready to come up. And I found it a really interesting study. It's really interesting how each generation has an opinion, but what's even more cool is how they think the other generation thinks about them. What does it look like, okay? So you've got yourself fixated in your generational quadrant, right? All right, you know what you are. The elder, the boomer, the Gen Xer, the millennial, or the Gen Zer, okay? So where are you? So they asked some specific questions. One of the questions they asked was this, do you know what the term tithe means? And in this graphic, what's interesting is how few in the younger generations and yet how strong in the others. 
And one of the questions or the one of the statements was, yes, and it means, in fact, they could even give a definition and it would look like then that our boomers were the leaders in this. That they really had a clear fixated understanding. Gen Xers were not so good. The elders, a little bit better. But then when you come down to the millennials and the Gen Zers, it was like, um, I can give you an accurate 17% in the Gen Z generation, 28% in the millennial range. And then when it was stated, yes, but I can't recall the exact meaning, 34% of the Gen Zers all the way down to 6% of the elders. But then an emphatic no. I don't even know what the tithe means. I don't understand that concept. What is that? 49% of Gen Zers said, no, I don't have a clue as to what a tithe is. 42% of the millennials, 36% of the Gen Xers, 26% of the boomers, and 40% of our elders born before 1946. So that led to another question. In the Bible, where does tithing come from? And the percentage again reflects those who said they were unsure. I'm just not sure. Where in the Bible does the concept of tithing come from? And Gen Z said, 62% of them said, I'm just, I couldn't tell you. But also what I found interesting was how many of our elders couldn't. What did find is how many of the millennials in the lowest bracket there said they weren't sure where to find the Bible, only 41% of them. Now, there there were some other questions related to personal opinions of generosity. So, it moves beyond just simply thinking about this as a pure biblical or spiritual concept. The the report goes on to describe, so how important is generosity to you? This is the concept of being generous. How important is generosity to you? How important is it? One extreme there being extremely important, which is that greenish colored, to very important, more of that grayer color, to yellow, somewhat important, and then it gets into those other fainter colors of not very important, not at all. And what is interesting is that really across the board, the importance of generosity until you get to the boomers. And in the boomer generation, really it's just somewhat was the predominant thought about being generous. Then would you consider yourself to be a generous person? And this graphic is really telling. The aspect of the green there at the bottom is saying that it's completely, they would say I am completely a generous person or somewhat, not really and not at all. And that gray middle box there, somewhat generous across the board, doesn't matter the generational aspect, within just a few percentage points of each other. So their own perspective of themselves. And then they were having questions pertaining to how they saw the current world and and how these groups feel about giving. And the question was posed, is this the time to be more generous than usual? Continue to donate as usual or be less generous? And what I find interesting is how our Gen Zers answered this. They're really almost an even split into all three of those categories where to be more generous is the green, that more grayish color, continue to donate as you usually do or be more generous than usual, or excuse me, be less generous than usual is the yellow. And then you'll notice there again our 
millennials and Gen Xers and boomers and even our elders. Let's just keep things as they are. Predominant way of thinking, even as the world around us is in more need, let's just keep our donations as they are. Let's not consider an increase. Let's not even really consider a decrease, but we're just going to keep the status quo. Then there was a question pertaining to how the generations thought about this younger generation. Do they believe that the Gen Z's and the millennials are more generous than the previous generation? In the green again, more generous than the older generations, about the same or less generous. And you boomers don't have a high opinion of the younger generation. You see them as extremely less generous than you are. But yet you're the ones who said, I don't really even want to consider giving more. And then also thinking about how the Zers and the millennials see themselves, they see themselves as truly being, in many ways, less generous. But a lion's share of them even still would say that they're about the same or even more generous than the previous generations. The younger generation sees themselves as being a people that are at least keeping up the pace with their predecessors or even see themselves as being more generous than you as the boomer age. Millennials in the same way see themselves as keeping up with their their fathers and mothers and then Gen X, which is my generation, is looking at it and saying that we're about the same as what our parents were doing. But then there was this question that we're going to end with in this graphic here. In general, would you say that any of the following influences guide your giving decisions? Praying through decisions, reading scripture, seeing giving as a spiritual discipline, responding to spiritual convictions or none of the above. And when you look at that in the sense of in those graphs, you'll notice that for the praying through decisions or reading scripture about them, most of our younger generation is really outdoing the former generation. In their way of thinking, they pray about the decisions they're making. And for those in that, that Gen Z, 41% of them said, I have a conscious prayer life about how I spend my money. In comparison to the, the Gen Xers and the boomers at 37 and 23% reading scripture about it, trying to understand how am I supposed to direct my life in areas of looking at it. 30% for the Gen Zers, millennials at 34%, and then the boomers are down to 12, and so forth. What's interesting is none of these things, the boomers right on the far right there, 55% of them says, I don't pray about it, I don't really read my Bible about it, there isn't anything that seems to give me any spiritual discipline towards it. I'm not really responding to any spiritual convictions. None of these things is what influences my giving. Now, you do know that the saying, right, that 88% of all statistics are made up on the spot. But the data sets and the things that they're using here and the polling that they've done gives a pretty good indication of where as humanity, this isn't done just in churches, this was done across a wide spectrum in a lot of different regions of the country. It was done in different ethnic groups, it was done in different settings in the rural and urban, it was done in a wider range, so this was a slice of society. In the book of 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9, We find that Paul, he writes to a church that had already committed 
to helping care for the needs of fellow believers suffering under persecution, going through all these circumstances. And what I would venture to say is when I look back at those graphics and I think about them, you have a first generation believer, you have a mindset of culture, you have people who have a, a really a different viewpoint of what it means to give and to be generous and what they do with their finances and all those things. And as God is introduced into the scene, as God is brought into their life, as the nature of these people are changing to see Christ and to be guided in their life by the integrity of his word and by the ministry of the spirit, there are things that begin to now change as a result of that. And so Paul uses this as an opportunity to encourage them to understand what it really means to be a heart-filled, generous, giving type of church, a, a people that really does it because of what God is prompting from our heart. What is even more significant in these two passages is the way that Paul uses the word here that we will see many times translated as the word grace. In fact, Paul uses charis is the, the Greek word at least six different ways inside of these chapters. And when you take into account how Paul uses these nuances of grace, we come to th this vast array of the faces of grace. How is it that I see grace on display? And at the heart of our giving is the way that we understand the concept of grace. I love Thanksgiving. I'm gonna tell you right now, it is hands down my favorite holiday. You can have Christmas, that is stressful. <laughs> now, don't knock the sense of the, the biblical meaning of what Christmas represents. Yes, that is by far the, one of the major significant events in our, in our Christian calendar. But I'm gonna tell you the way we have hyped it and materialized it, it just, it works me up one way and down another. Not only do I have to crawl into my attic every stinking November, but second of all, I gotta go put it all back by January. There is this concept that we have, though, as we come into this time of the year, Thanksgiving, and we jump over it. We've been scared to death, and now we want all the gifts for being scared to death. We've moved from Halloween into Christmas, and we're, we're just on a march. And we're excited to get into a new year. And it's, it's always like the anticipation of something more to be gained, where Thanksgiving says, stop and think about what you're thankful for. Because how can I truly be grateful for a coming Savior if I don't realize how empty and devoid of life I really ever was? That I really needed a Savior. In much the same way, this concept of grace, as he teaches through this aspect of these chapters in chapters 8 and 9, is to prepare us for a heart of gratitude. Our giving comes out of a heart of gratitude. And I love the language that Paul uses here as he unpacks his thinking to these Christians, these believers about this is not something God's doing to make you feel oppressed, to make you feel guilty. It's because he has given to you and from what he has given to you, can you not see the opportunity to share? Is your heart so recluse? Is it so removed from seeing the needs of others that you can't be thankful because you've realized how much God has met your need but you can't be generous because you feel like you're in control of everything. At the heart of our giving is the way we understand the concept of grace and giving speaks of 
really what I would see is three things, ownership, our priorities, and the quantity. When you think about ownership, the questions are posed, then who is it in the first place? Who does it belong to? And where did I receive what I have? When you think of priorities, who decides how I am to use the resources that I claim to possess? And how am I obligated to use these resources? And then when you think about the quantifiable nature of it, if I give, then how much? When does it become generous versus just simply being a recognition of participation? When do we become a generous church? Would it be the Scrooge mindset of the copper or the guinea? Would it be the understanding that there is a line in which I step over that somewhere in that process I have now reached an echelon of being a generous person? What does God say about that? There's a word in here in the New American especially, and I looked at a lot of other translations use it, it's the word equality. Over the course of this week, look that word up. Study that thought for a moment. Think about what Paul is saying when he talks about how he is seeking equality. That's such a political buzzword right now. And God has a strict definition of what he thinks that looks like. How do I know the right answers to these questions? And the real truth is, is that it comes because of grace. You see, grace teaches us how we are to conduct our lives. In Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 15, it says this, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men. Verse 12, instructing us to deny the ungodliness and the worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed, to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good works. And these things speak and exhort and reprove with all authority and let no one disregard you. The grace of God motivates us to live in a manner that is prepared for what the world is going to throw at us. Just like Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 13, therefore prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And then when we come to our passage here in 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9, grace again, as I said, used in several different ways. At least six different variants of the concept of charis and how grace is seen in our lives. One writer put it, as we think about it in this sense of how the writing that Paul uses here, he talks about the obvious places of grace in chapters, chapter 8 verses 1 and 9, and then also in chapter 9 verses 8 and 14, and then he uses the word gracious in chapter 8 verses 6, 7, and 19. But then what's interesting is how our English words pick up on the other nuances of how grace is used, where it's used for the word favor in verse, chapter 8 and verse 4, or thanks in chapter 8, verse 16, chapter 9 and verse 15. When you talk about being thankful, it's because of the grace of God. So you're getting ready here in a few weeks, a few days, you're going to sit down at a table and you're going to gather around, and many of us in our traditions... We sit there with our family and we maybe even have young people that are going to graduate from the kids' table up to the adult table this year. 
And we sit there, and one of the things that we used to have when our kids were little, and I still got little recordings of it, and they would write out what they're thankful for, and we record it. Oh, that means so much. And before they could even write, we would take time, and we would write it out, and they would tell us what they want to be thankful for. And I mean, it, it, it's amazing. Some of them haven't changed anything yet. You know, three years old to 13, it doesn't matter. They just say the same things. What are we thankful for? And it's that grace concept. One writer noted this way, the cars, again, is the term, the key term in this section. And these six different senses is this. Number one, that grace aspect here is how God's unconditional kindness is being lavished or displayed upon us. It's God's enablement. Do you realize that it's only because God enables you to get up and go to work? It is because God enables you, He strengthens you, He affords you with the rightness of mind and His ability to you. He enables us. It is by the grace of God. The second of all, grace speaks of privilege or favor. It's the use of the honor or the opportunity of participating in this offering, as he says in chapter 8 and verse 4. This is the the privilege, the honor of, of being able to model the grace of God as I cooperate together on the behalf of someone else. And then he talks about act of grace, where it's talking about the, the generous act itself. The collection of these things is chapter 8 and verse 6. And then in chapter 8 and verse 7, he talks about the grace of giving. It's the virtuous act of sharing, of affording help. Do you realize that you are a grace to someone else? That when we send our missionaries off to the field, when we as a church gather together and we put our resources together and we drop them in these boxes or do it online, however way that you choose to do it, we are collectively gracing one another so that we can minister one to another. That is that very act of sharing. Then he talks about it in the sense of chapter 8 and verse 19, the very offering itself, the charitable work. It's an expression, it's a proof of our goodwill. It's reflecting what's in your heart. That's why he says God loves a cheerful giver, not out of compulsion, not out of something begrudged, not in the sense that, you know, God might strike me dead. No. It just reflects our heart. And then the sixth way that's used here is that concept of thanks, where the verbal expression of gratitude for an act of benevolence comes forth. When was the last time you just simply said to God, thank you, God, instead of give me, God, I need God. God, do this for me, God. God, thank you. And that reflection of grace and that place of grace, absorbing what God has done and at the same time grateful for it. So much is made of the concept of tithing in our giving, but what Paul really is referring to here is more of a grace-giving concept. How does being changed by the power of God's grace and salvation bring a different perspective on not just what we are awaiting for in heaven, but what is already ours now of what he has blessed us with? Can you be thankful that God enables you through the lack of health, 
that God day by day gives you what you need for today to live for the glory of God. Can you stop and be thankful? Maybe you don't have two quarters to rub together. But how many days has God supplied and given to you what you needed for that day? Can you stop and be thankful? We are changed by God's grace. This Paul is speaking in this passage is really speaking specifically of finances, but more importantly, he's referring to the heart and to the mind. It's tied more to what Christ has said when he was written up in the Gospels where Matthew 6.21 records, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. It's interesting the way the language of that verse is, is that it also could be reciprocated. You could turn it around and basically say, for where your heart is, there will your treasure be. Or as Luke records in in the book of Acts chapter 20 in the latter part of verse 35, remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And what we can learn from these expressions that are given to us in 2 Corinthians, and what is it that he gives to us as some foundational principles to help us to think about one of the most sensitive parts of all of our understanding is what do we own and what do we possess and who has the right to tell me what to do with it? Next time what I'd like to do is I want to explore more of these chapters and talk a little bit more about the faces of grace and talk about what Paul is really driving at here to understand biblically. What is it that God wants us to think about when we talk about our giving? And you might be surprised. You're in the midst of a a building project and so much of our time could become spent on, we need more money. We're coming towards the end of a fiscal year and budgets start to reflect lacks and things like this and we could stand up here and we could talk about money. But what I really find about 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 has little less more to do with money and everything to do with grace, with our heart and our response to what God has done. And the beautiful thing is, is that God never intended it to be on one person's shoulders. He intended it for us to share the load, to carry the burden. So what does the Bible say about being generous? I hope that you'll go home and reread this section. And next Sunday we'll come back and we'll highlight some principles And think about a heart that comes forth with gratitude in a season where we need to be thankful. The world around us is pretty angry. The world around us is pretty upset. The hostility is not just in foreign borders. It's right here in our own city. There is a need for us to be enabled by God, to show them how they can be enabled by God. How do we give? What's our conduct, our attitude? What's the charity of our heart like? May we truly represent the faces of grace. Let's stand together for a word of prayer. Father, I pray that you would instruct our hearts. Lord, I think about those graphs and Lord, as a church, as a people, as we think about the attitudes of some, Lord, does that reflect ours? 
Lord, do we know what your word says about these things? Do we understand what it means to have a heart of charity, a heart of generosity? And Lord, that covers so many more things than just our money. And Lord, that's for all of us. And so, Lord, I pray that you'll teach us, help us to be thinking about this concept, this display, this litmus test in a way of what's within our heart, the reflection of our love for others. And how many times you say that in those two chapters? This is the proof of your love. This is the proof of grace at work in you. And so, Lord, let us be testimonies of your grace. Or as we go home and we talk about these things and we evaluate our, our resources, our time, our abilities and giftedness, as well as our treasures, our, our resources of money, Lord, are we a people that have a heart of grace? So prepare us for the season that we're in. And Lord, as we will celebrate in this month and then especially in the month to come, the generosity of God, the generosity of you as our Lord. Lord, how could we ever outgive you, outdo you? So Lord, teach us what it means to be truly grace-filled people. Encourage our hearts, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. was lost in darkest night, yet thought I knew the way, the sin that promised joy and life had led me to
Jesus is my life. You may be seated for a minute. Thank you for joining with us today. My name is Kelly O'Rear. I'm the discipleship pastor here at Grace Baptist Church. And I've got a few short announcements before we dismiss you to the fellowship time and then our discipleship hour and Sunday school hour that will begin at 11 o'clock. Today is the deadline for several um, outreach donations. So be sure to check your bulletin for that. There's a basket out in the foyer and we can direct you to that once you get out there. Um, Christmas banquet. In your bulletin, um, you can find a QR code to purchase tickets for our upcoming Christmas banquet. If you need any help with ordering tickets online, um, Savannah Merritt will be out at the welcome table right there and she can help you with that and help you reserve a spot. Remember tickets are limited to the first 150. Um, so don't wait until the last minute church. Don't wait until the last minute. We're looking forward to this time to celebrate the holiday season together. Also, just a reminder to us, and so many of you are so, so good at this, but just a reminder, um, we've, we've referenced the holidays this morning. So keep in mind that there are a number of folks within our church um, that might be spending the holidays alone for different reasons, various reasons. So would you prayerfully consider someone you could invite to join your family for perhaps your Thanksgiving meal. Maybe it's for coffee or dessert um, or some other way that you could encourage them or reach out. But let's just be conscious of that with the holidays coming up. Finally, a reminder um, that this evening, uh, there's a little bit of a change. Of lo there is a change of location for all our evening activities. There will be no meetings here in this building this evening. All of our children and teens will be at the Shalliford Road campus. Um, Awana will be in the Children's Center and the teens will be on the football field. And I understand that Steve's got something fun planned for them as well. For Awana, we ask that at least one parent participate. I think both parents and our family are gonna participate in Awana um, with the kids for family night. Um, so uh, Sandy's got some fun things in mind to involve us, but but also parents, and I told some parents this last week, you are not going to be quizzed. This is not Bible quiz time to put you on the spot. It's a time for parents to just get to observe and have fun with their kids and see what Awana is about and what, um, what these kids experience on Sunday night. So um, please to make sure to check with your study leaders if you're in an adult study in the evenings to see if or where you may be meeting. So, um, Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you that we could gather in Jesus' name and for his glory. And Lord, now as we go out to fellowship together and as we enter into uh, our discipleship hour with the various classes that are going on, I pray that you will continue to minister for your glory and for our joy in Jesus' name. Amen. If you are a visitor with us and you're not sure where to go during the 11 o'clock hour, I will be out at that table as well and I would be happy to give you some direction for that. Church, you are dismissed.